so everybody, I just wanted to introduce you to Carl. War uh, Carl, I don't even know how to say your last name. I, I feel horrible about that. It's Warkowski. <laughs> Warkowski. So Carl is the guy that got me into Black Soldier Flies. Um, it was if it's been a while now. We were at a farm conference, and he had a table next to ours, and he had was carrying around this big giant tub. I think he was doing that honestly as like a publicity kind of thing. It, it was brilliant marketing really is what it was. But um, so of course we had to have one because, you know, when you have a farm, you have rotting animals or rotting all kinds of stuff. And that's a great way to take care of it. So um, just wanted to get Carl on here and, you know, get a little bit more about, you know, what all is involved with black soldier fly bins and um, kind of learn a little bit more about Carl and how you got started also. So, Carl, I think that's a great place to start is just kind of like, what's your background and um, what got you into black soldier flies? Sure. Um, my background is um, a biology degree from University of California, Irvine. Uh, it did not have emphasis on any particular species or, I guess, classification like entomology. But the job that I got hired for back in 2007 through Robert and uh, Paul Olivier uh, made me focus primarily on uh, the insect, and the insect in question is obviously Hermedia lucens, which is the black soldier fly, which is a native species here in the southeast, order Diptera, which is the order of flies. Uh, the difference between this species and all the other flies you see around is it's not a vector, so there's not a lot of pathogens associated with it. It's not like a house fly that can live for six months and transmit bad germs from shortcake to bunt cake to strawberry cake and then land on your dinner and <laughs> perhaps infect you. So these are really ignore um, food waste at the dinner table, unlike house flies. So we've, we haven't had reports with pathogen issues with the species. In fact, there's not much eating at the adult phase. It's mostly just maybe drinking a little bit of nectar and pollination. So that that is really nice because that's cool. I didn't know they pollinated too. Yeah. Um, you know what? Originally, when I first started this, I was told they didn't do anything else except mate, which you know sounds like a great you know life as an adult. But <laughs> found out as time went on that they do evolve uh, with some type of flower um, pollination, and my guess is they're going for the liquids and the nectars. And they do uh, drink like uh, sugar waters for energy. Um, don't eat per se, so there's not a, there's not feeding, but there is drinking, and drinks uh, that they take could have maybe some carbohydrate energy in them. Okay. So, and, and that makes sense. Um, but for the most part, they don't feed as adults. Interesting. Um, Anyway, I grew up in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, which is a rural section of Northeast. I went to school on the West Coast. That's where I got my undergraduate and master's. My background is primarily on the private sector. I've owned a company since 1994, though I did take a break to run for office, and I was in office for seven years as city council and mayor, and I did run a nonprofit for several years as their executive director. So I got a nice balance of the different segments of society, and I think it helps um, to figure out a lot of our problems. Sure. <laughs> including food waste. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, if you guys don't follow Carl on Facebook, make sure you friend him. He's he's uh, always has entertaining things to say. <laughs> the most part. <laughs> so, uh, black soldier flies. Then somebody hired you to specifically study them and develop that bin at that time, or how did that come about? The bin concept had already been invented by Robert's father, who was a PhD living in, um, in Southeast Asia. And he came up with the concept having witnessed the bulger fly in person when he was uh, living in uh, the Louisiana area. And as you know, it's to the whole Southeast, so it's very commonly found in most household compost or refuse piles. And he was amazed at the incredible speed of digestion yeah. of food waste and thought there was an opportunity. They ended up studying it for several years. This is before I came on board and really took the idea to a conceptual phase. When I came on board, we put it into production, developed the molds, and came with the first generation of pods. Uh, we're now at the third generation you could say maybe three and a half because every couple of years we take input back from customers on how we can continually refine um, the existing technology and the latest iteration has to do drew with um, people who are going to be utilizing it um, indoors and so oh. we came up with a, a drainage system that allows you to connect to standard uh, plumbing fixtures Oh, and that's pretty cool. So yeah. much easier, especially you have to deal with the droopy drip liquids indoors, especially on impermeable surfaces like concrete. And that collection mechanism really kind of keeps the area neat and tidy. And you know it, it, it prevents confusion of the females. You don't want them to go laying eggs where some of the liquid pools mistakenly. Right. You want to, grow, to lay eggs in uh, the food waste pile. And this kind of eliminates uh, indecisiveness on their part. I got you. Yeah, I had one of the like small gray ones for a while. Kept that under the porch, and you know you'd have to like release the liquid, and that that sometimes got a little gross. I'm not gonna lie. I I kind of pushed the limits of that bin, and that's you know hard. Yeah, it's, unfortunately, black soldier fly is not like maintaining Tiffany's. They're not delicate and clean. Right. Pretty. <laughs> And uh, if, if, if certain bugs are not your thing, you may not like black soldier fly cultivation. Right. But if you're like you and me and like all that stuff, yeah. I tell people to just jump head in first and you're going to have a blast. Um, yeah. I mean, you have to admit, the first time your colony sort of took off was an amazing thing. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely rewarding. I, say, I, I think black soldier fly cultivation is as rewarding as beekeeping. Um, I mean, I, yeah, you don't get the honey that you get from, but you do get a, a liquid. I mean, yeah. You do get the liquid, and I've had this eccentric gardener in Texas that used the liquids for his prized peppers. He said it was the best fertilization, uh, I guess, um, mechanism that he could find. And he mixed it with a couple other things that he didn't disclose to me, but <laughs> Never seen peppers seven or eight feet tall. It was just wow. nuts. Yeah. And uh, he said it enhanced the flavor of these things. And I, I, you know, I looked at the peppers. They were doing, 
incredible. So who am I to say it's not really? necessarily what helped? <laughs> sure. uh, that's an unusual use of the liquids. Most people save the liquids uh, in a wide mouth mason jar uh, over winter and help use that in the spring to attract females. Because when you add that to food waste in the spring, it makes it more enticing. Oh, and it gets all those beneficial microbes that are theoretically part of this whole environment. And whether they help attract females, pregnant females, whether they help um, dissuade other fly species from entering the pod, or they help the beneficial microbes with um, symbiotic digestion of the food waste, we don't really know for sure, but they're in that liquid. And so okay. it seems to add assistance when you mix that in in the spring. That makes sense. So that, that brings into another question. So my pod, it's just kind of like, it, it's on its own. You know, we feed it, but um, it starts up in the spring when it gets warm enough and the black soldier flies come back in. But I have noticed like every year, there's like a period of time where black soldier flies aren't there yet, but you've got like the big giant beetles or, you know, different flies. I mean, it's not usually a very long time, but is, so by using that liquid, you could cut that time down or do you still have to wait? I have personally found that that cuts down on the waiting period in the spring. Okay. You know, I mean, obviously you're not going to see it, you know, a lot of insects at all in February, March, unless you have a warm spell. And I really don't see black soldier fly until end of April. Yeah. And what I want to do, as soon as they start hatching out naturally, I want them to find the pod. And I found that that liquid um, seems to cut down a few days and without just the smell of putrescent waste, you know, like the ripe envelope and whatever you're putting in the coffee grounds, I, I find it adds uh, a marginal assistance. And you know, if it helps to cut down on house flies, you know, we don't know for sure what's what's keeping the house flies away. My guess is it's probably microbes or scents associated with that, um, maybe pheromones. Um, then I'm all for it. And so I've been doing it every year. Just don't use regular mouth jar when you freeze it because you know it'll crack the glass. Right. Yeah. You only, you only do that once in your life. Yeah. But everybody or in my case, you make a whole bunch of chicken broth and you put like 10 jars in there and then you find out. <laughs> oh, well, let's hope you're not doing that much. Right. Oh, okay. So what about uh, black soldier fly growing versus compost pile? Do you do both? Do you think there's a place? Absolutely. This is just um, a compliment to what you should be doing now for composting. We have a three system at residence and we have different ages of compost in those each attached bins. What is primarily going in um, my compost pile is yard debris, grass clipping, shrubbery, uh, maybe some other materials that I know the black soldier fly won't eat like lignin, high, high lignus material, maybe hemicellulose that they just don't have interest in because they don't have the digestive enzymes to break those down. I don't want to put those in the pod because it's not going to get eaten. We'll eventually break it down, but I'm not interested in having this be a compost bin. I'm, having, I'm interested in being a digester, digester for food waste. So absolutely um, have a compost bin uh, associated with um, your pod. Paper towels, 
maybe some other types of cotton waste that you just don't want to discard into the landfill. If you know it's biodegradable, put it in your compost bin. Just don't put it in uh, the grub bin. I limit the grub bin to things that you and I eat. I got you. Okay. Even though there may be a couple other things that I add that are different, such as pet waste. I don't eat that and neither do you. Right. Um, coffee grounds. You put, you put pet waste in the bin? I put pet waste in. Uh, okay. Coffee grounds, uh, carcasses, yeah. um, brewery waste, you know, brewer's mash. Yeah. Also, um, if I have, let's say, you know, didn't decided not to cook and I went and got a rotisserie chicken. Yeah. You know, <laughs> delectable rotisserie chickens with all those bones, I just dumped the whole thing in. The bones, um, will disappear over time due to microbial activity, but I've noticed they seem to do much except power the bones. So they'll stay. So even though um, that's not something that gets readily digested by them, I put them, I put things like dirty mango pits and all the different fruit pits. They're not going to eat the pits, but they'll scour it and make sure all the tissue's gone. That stuff builds up at the, in the bottom and at the end of the year, when I close it down in November, I take that out and either put it in the compost pile to polish it off and finish decomposing, or I throw it like in the, the grape orchard or the area or where the vines are. The vines. I got it. So yeah, that's interesting because I, I'm very similar with mine, I, but I put like uh, eggs shells. I've noticed they don't touch egg shells for the most part. No, it's an inorganic material. Um, I tell people, go ahead and put the eggshells in if you want, especially if they're, if they're dirty and have a lot of food waste on them, but they're not going to eat. I got you. And it's yeah. going to show up as the end of year undigested residue, which is a mixture of things they won't eat, composted materials, they're poopy or frass, for lack of a better uh, scientific word. That all is mixed together. That can go in your compost pile or your worm bin or your area of the garden that just is going to innervate the soil, maybe a trench in the orchard. A lot of people have trenches in the orchard, they bury a lot of their food waste as nutrients, yeah. Yeah. kind of like a lazy hygge culture. Right, that's just what I was thinking, yeah. But, uh, um, what's the, you know, nothing goes to waste, nothing goes to landfill. This can all be recycled on your property as long as you understand they're not gonna ever touch plastic and you have to take that out if you find little pieces right they don't even do much with the uh like biodegradable silverware it's funny because we it, we had some of those like corn based and i just uh, like yeah i just throw it in there we'll see what happens but uh we emptied out the bin and there's just like a whole fourth of july party worth of those you know corn based uh silverware stuff so yeah you know i've had mixed results on the what is it called the pla the pla Cutlery, corn base. Forget what the scientific name is. I've had results both in my compost bin and in the pod, the pods. And some of the brands disappear quicker than others. And I, I, I know that because I went back a couple months later to find them, and I couldn't find a, a remnant of any of them. Oh wow! And other ones doesn't even look like it's any different like there's even a change yeah that's how hard it's really biodegradable or are they yeah. pulling my leg yeah <laughs> so i think it depends on the manufacturer and i have witnessed disappearing 
cutlery in the pod. Um, but I can't tell you one way or the other if it's the grub's digestion or it's the microbial activity that's going along concurrently. It could be a combination of both. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure what it is because um, I'm not watching it 24-7. So another question. <laughs> yeah. They move everything around. Oh, I know. It's insane. So another question I get a lot is, why don't you see the grubs in the compost pile versus just in the bin? You will if you add food waste to your compost pile. Okay. If you just have yard waste, they're not, they don't really have interest in, in, in heavy lignin material. I, I kind of thought maybe it was because some compost piles get hotter too. Like, I mean, I know like I have friends that just keep, you know, the regular old compost pile and they claim, I mean, maybe they're not digging through it all the way, but you know, they claim they don't see them in there at all. You know, that, that is possible. I mean, moisture and heat and all the other environmental parameters that are necessary for life uh, and insects are no exception have to be with um, certain tolerance levels. If, if they're going to go outside that, they're going to die or be cooked. So, I mean, that's possible. Um, they may not have access to the food waste. If you're burying the food waste in the center of your post pile, they may not even be able to get into it. Okay. I noticed that people were, what I say, dump and run composters, the lazy composters, just yeah. throw everything in. They get grubbed because they're right on the surface. Yeah. And, uh, and assuming the flies can get in there, usually they get in through ventilation channels. But you know what? All it's going to do is help speed up your composting process if you're not interested in, in raising grubs for the sake of grubs and you just want to get rid of your waste. Sure, they'll, they'll work wonders in your compost pile, um, but they're not going to eat yard waste uh, or, or paper. They're not going to eat paper like cardboard. Yeah, I did that experiment too. <laughs> Those, uh, now that's going your worm bin. Those, you yeah. know, will be eaten by worms. So uh, you brought up pet waste. Uh, what about livestock waste? Cow, sheep, goat? They're going to eat all. They're going to eat all poop, Drew. Um, mm -hmm. The different there are the different classification of animals have different types of poop. Certain animals have more nutritious poop than others, and so there's more energy still left in the poop. It's almost like an incomplete digestion. So there's going to be a higher rate of bioconversion from those animals that have more nutrients in their poop. I've noticed with the, the hoofed animals, like the ungulates, like cows and horses, um, there's not much energy left for the black soldier flies to eat. So the bioconversion rate is extremely low. And I, I just tell people, I go, look, there's gonna be so much um, undigested material when you put those in, you're just gonna fill up your pod needlessly yeah i i tell them just compost that stuff and use it directly in your garden don't don't feed it to uh the grubs it's it's, gonna, it's just gonna fill up your pods whatever device you're using will they eat it of course it's just a much lower rate of bioconversion okay but, um have you i put poop, my pet poo in just because um it gets rid of it yeah, it's easier than a pet poo pile, right? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, a little piece of uh, pet poo versus, you know, an entire dung patty of cow. That's, right. that's a difference in bulk. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, the, the thought was I have a good friend that runs, like, a pretty sizable worm uh, operation. And, you know, I wasn't sure, like, 
would you go compost, worms, black soldier flies? But sounds like probably just sticking with worms is the best bet there. I think worms best use besides taking the undigested residue from a pod as food. I think their best use is cardboard. Really? Because there's not much out there that's going to eat paper waste and cardboard. It takes a long time to compost. Worms will actively eat it, and all you have to do is mix it with grit and keep it moist. And when I say grit, like um, like a little bit of place sand or some yeah. of your erosion areas in your yard that have sediment up, you know, it's like sandy. Just grab some of that and throw that in there. Yeah. They can subsist on because of all the the glue that's in with the cardboard is the protein source. And, and I know a lot of um, professional growers, I think that's like their only source of feedstock. Really? That's really interesting. That's what I've been told. I don't do it professionally. I just have one of those cattle troughs that have been repurposed. You know, the six or eight, uh, six or 10 foot long tractor supply cattle troughs that are high up so you don't have to bend over. Right. Uh, those are great for worms. You have to make sure to do drainage holes and put the shade. That's great. I'm, I might have to add that this year. Um, okay. Um, what about like a, a homemade? I know you have your own type, but if someone's like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to try something small to get started. What's, what's your best homemade option you've seen? Um, to tell you the truth, I've seen everything from uh, wood. And I always warn people, you know, don't use pressure treated because it's toxic. Right. And unfortunately, you have to go with regular wood. It decomposes and breaks down really quickly. Right. The acidity of the digestive enzymes. Um, that being said, uh, I've seen a lot of units that are wood. And I've seen some units that are plastic components that are kind of off the shelf bins and ramps and stuff like that. People just come up with... Uh, a mechanism to to house them no matter what you i tell people to just make sure you watch the toxicity of the material make sure you monitor the temperatures um and probably keep it in the shade um watch the moisture level make sure uh there's drainage really people who start doing these just in bins forget about the drainage and the liquids build up quickly and you yeah. know food waste is mostly uh the, the main byproduct is is water and uh i can accumulate and stink up a storm really quickly so i tell them make sure you come up with um a drainage system that you've thought about uh and and then of course the other things that are important are make, making sure that there's access by the females it can't be completely enclosed um you want to make sure that um it reasonably can keep out pets pests like wildlife or or feral dogs or your kids without being so secure that it takes you so much time to get in that you don't bother going and checking on them because the security is so intense right unwrap your bungee cord system or whatever it is you're using to keep out pests so just keep those things in mind a lot of people try to go through these elaborate systems of of breeding and egg laying. And you know what? I think they just lay eggs on every possible surface. Right. And I've never, ever, I think, other than the first year, bothered to come up with egg laying spots. And I have more than enough grub I ever could manage. I, I 
I do think having a top burlap of loose burlap just on the active pile add a lot of assistance with your homemade pod. The reason number one cuts down on um, house flies because they prefer to lay eggs on food waste directly. If they can't get into the food waste because there's a piece of burlap on there, they tend to not lay as readily. So that's good. It's a uh, it's a house fly inhibitor. The the black soldier fly females love to lay eggs on adjacent surfaces, not necessarily the food waste. Now they will still do it on the food waste, but they like to do it on adjacent surfaces. If you have a nice dry area of burlap, you'll see egg cases uh, appear uh, almost immediately. It also cuts down light. Uh, you know they're very negatively, uh, I guess they're just, they're photophobic. Yeah. photophobic. Yeah. And they don't like light. And by, by darkening the active pile, they'll eat all the way to the surface. And they, it, it prevents that crusty surface if you don't have the burlap. Sometimes you can have a crust form because of dehydration. They're fearful of light. And so it ends up being almost like a blockade to oxygen um, and adding additional food waste. But I found I don't get that crusty barrier when I use the burlap. Yeah, mine seem to just, I, I don't use the burlap, but I do have almost like a sealed lid. I basically just have two pieces of plywood that like slide like that. And that's, when you first gave it to me, you're like, make a nice lid. And I just. Can the females still get in? No problem. Yeah, there's like, you know, little cracks. The wood's all warped and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's one of those things where I had burlap on it and eventually they, I guess they eat the burlap, right? I mean, I don't think they eat it because they're not interested in that material, but it breaks down. Yeah. You, know, you, you, wet, you wet any cloth and you put it in an active digestive material or a digestive pile. It's going right. to break down from enzymes and microbial, uh, microbial activity. Yeah. I remember but, that. Like, I have I mean, to replace twice, maybe three times a year. I remember when we first started the bin, though. I mean, I, I remember seeing them in the burlap, you know, I mean, right away. So that, that's definitely like. An easy it's way good out. It's startup. Yeah. I, I recommended it startup because of the crust issue, the house fly issue, because, you know, there's, it's not critical once your system is up and running because you know how active they are on, a, on a, having a colony. It just swarms and it's almost like there's no possible way a crust could ever materialize. Right. Once you get going. Active. But at the beginning, I think the burlap helps. And, and, you know, it could be cold in the spring, especially at night, so it'll help keep in the heat. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Being generated by microbial activity and digestion. Yeah. So get, I mean, the basics, I mean, feel like we've kind of covered it, just, but just to make sure everybody understands, like, the basics to getting started is get a bin, and I'll let you explain it a little bit, but, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously they can get bins from us. We were one of the only manufacturers left in the U.S. Uh, and the fact that they're made in North Carolina is a real benefit because yeah. the time involved with getting them and the avoidance of shipping is, is ideal. You know, the non-sales tax, sales tax is nothing compared to the avoidance of shipping. Right. So it's a nice thing. We can get people them very quickly. They can either pick up at the factory, which is in the Raleigh area, or we can maybe coordinate with them. Uh, so that's the good news. Um, 
the, also, if you go to YouTube and want to build it yourself, there are many, many blueprints out there for building them, especially if people are handy with wood. If I had it uh, and had to do it from scratch, I'd probably do it out of wood. Would you? Yeah. 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 Um, but um, I probably, I would probably work on some type of wood seal, uh, a natural seal that would kind of inhibit moisture penetration you know, like a lot of linseed oil or something that would just help uh with and wouldn't readily get digested i'm not sure what that would be i bet you somebody has come up with it yeah I, most of the units i see rot pretty quickly yeah i mean that that was kind of what sent me down the path is that I started looking at these and thinking the same like you know worm bin juice you know there's going to be juice when you're messing with food waste and, um, Oh my God. You know, like why I'm going to go all this trouble to build a wood one. And that was when you went walking by, you know, a couple of days later with that big giant toad, I was like, that's what I need because that's not going to break down, <laughs> you know, like, and by the time you like add up your cost of building that thing and spending the time and stuff, I mean, it's just, to me, it makes sense to get whatever size fits, a lot of people can't get the ramp technology right and the, the mechanism for crawl off. Our pods really are useful at that aspect because they're built in, because um, they are designed for you to have to separate the, the um, grubs out of the active pile when they're mature. You just basically grab them out of the bucket. I will say this. If you're going to do this outside and you don't have necessarily a protected area from rainfall, if it's raining and you let the bucket get wet, they're going to crawl out of the bucket because they can adhere to the, the, the vertical surfaces. So mm -hmm. I tell people, for a heavy rain, if your pot is outdoors and it can get wet, even though it may be covered, the bucket is not necessary. So go dump your harvest before the rain starts and you know, put another dry bucket in when the rain that way, yeah, you may lose a few grubs um, that crawl off during the storm, but for the most part, you're not going to lose the whole bucket. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, you, you learn these things just, they're, they're kind of administrative, but yeah. I noticed before rainstorms, I go and I, I grab the bucket and, and yeah. dump out the harvest. So that's an important thing to realize. You can use any bucket, as you know. Um, I try to tell people the little ones are really small and they're really practice, but they're a high cost versus the capacity. You know, the, the big ones, it's not even two times the small ones cost, yet it's five times the bioconversion capacity. So for your dollar well spent, the big one makes more sense. But if you just want to do this maybe for scientific approach or for your kids' education, or maybe you just want to produce a few for like your bird feeder, then the small one is is useful and it, it comes with a lot of um, parts with it so it's kind of turnkey whereas the big one is more do-it-yourself yeah yeah I mean the big one like I'm so glad we had the we had the small one we did a chicken processing day and I was like Carl said you can put chickens in here so I put like 60 parts of chickens in the little one and oh man, Lacey! Oh, the little teeny one. Yeah, I mean, Lacey was yelling at me for like weeks while we went through the uh, decomposition process, you know. But um, I think we put a hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred chickens into the big one, 
and in the middle of August, and it was done in like two days. I mean, you're, that's a lot of that's a lot of weight. It was a lot, and I mean, for me, like it's kind of like a playing around kind of thing. You know, I want to see what it'll do, but I know I like to do that too. I tell people not to go over twenty-five pounds a day, but I'm always tempted. Like the yeah. other day, I put in seventy-five pounds of bananas. Wow! And it disappeared in less than two days. See, the whole thing is with overfeeding, you you have to basically balance the microbes that produce stink. You know, the anaerobic microbes and the grub's digestion. So you want the grubs to win. And if you don't overfeed them, the grubs always win. If you start overfeeding, grubs can't eat everything and then the microbes start working. But you want the grubs to win and the pod is designed for the grubs to win. But if you overfeed, it's gonna take more than one day and you could get some sting. Yeah. But it's still fun. It is. It's really cool to see what they'll eat. It's crazy. I still think, okay, they're not going to eat all this, and I'll put in just buckets of just breads and food waste, and then it's just gone. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, and you know what? We're diverting all this from the landfill, which just goes and decomposes anaerobically, forming methane, which doesn't really help the climate. So yeah. that's another attribute of, of composting and digesting your food waste. It's a really good offset from the landfill. I mean, I'd love to see like that in the back of restaurants. I mean, to me, it makes sense to have one of those next to every, every uh, dumpster. I would just like to see healthy foods at restaurants. Let's start with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. Oh, okay. One last thing. And then uh, I feel like we pretty much covered it all. Is Can you break down the kind of, the nutrient level of a grub like why are we taking these grubs and feeding them to poultry or you know what what's the breakdown there um well the breakdown is uh what is it 35 percent protein even though that might not all be bio biologically um accessible um and then 40 percent fat and five percent calcium by weight which is great for layers do I have those suggestions right? Because my remember, I'm older. That's okay. It, as long as you get it rough, it's not. Nobody's. nobody's it's all it. online. Just go find it. Yeah. But I would say it is. It's a very concentrated, nutritious morsel of just yummy stuff, and it it, it ends up becoming like cocaine. My chickens like me because of the grubs. <laughs> and they listen because of grubs. So in that respect, I mean. You know, they're, they're much more uh, managed, i found, because they associate me with grub. <laughs> I assume you experience the same thing. I have, yeah. So we um, actually use them for raising broilers to kind of offset the feed cost, too. I, I, I've noticed, and Julia have noticed, that eggs are, have a higher level of integrity when we have uh, black soldier flies as part of the chicken diet. They're not as brittle or fragile yeah and that's nice because you don't want to crack them when you're harvesting eggs um the babies sure grow when we have we have um broody chickens so they raise their babies and um they grow really fast we follow the golden rule of feed which is about a third critters which is grubs a third um greens and grass and other leafy things and then a third seeds 
Um, so I, I always buy like a world wild bird seed mix, which is one fifth the price of chicken feed. Right. Yeah. And that just is in some trays out there when they're hungry, but it's a mixture of like eight or nine different seeds and it's a good nutritional, um, blend. And, uh, you know, when they, when they want, they'll go it, but for the most part they forage all day long as yeah. yours do. Sure. Yeah. Um, but got ours in the orchard right now, taking care of all the, uh, Japanese beetles. That good. They put a hurting on the beetles, so that's been pretty cool. Yeah, that's not a bad thing ever. No. Um, one last thing is sure. I noticed that uh, we've had an uptick in the interest in Europe with our technology, and people seem to be buying them for entomophagy, which is human consumption of insects. We don't recommend doing that because we have no knowledge of where the food base is coming from or if it's infected with disease materials or whatever. So I don't recommend doing that food waste, but the ones that are sold in Europe, they're, they're producing them with food grade uh, feed stock. I got uh, they're producing the grubs with, with other material. But um, you know, the fact that that is happening, I think is a paradigm shift. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't really happened here in the, in the US, but I think it's going to pretty soon. If you've not tasted them, I highly recommend cooking some up. Don't eat them raw. And you will be so surprised how good they are. All right, so how do you cook them? That, Just that, saute them, them. Just saute them in butter? First of all, cardboard tastes good sauteed in butter. That's so true. Of course these are gonna taste good in butter. I, I would just add garlic too. And then uh, I would say in a stir fry is the best bet you know, a little bit of cabbage, yeah, maybe some peppers too, and you're going to find it a very um, uh, satisfying taste. That's great. I'm going to cook those up and not tell my kids. What I do that, I do that with uh, sheep heart, and they they went back for thirds on it, and I was like, you guys loved that, right? They're like, yeah. I was like, that was sheep heart. <laughs> they just wow. Spit. Well, they that's good that they ate them. That means, yeah. They, yeah. So we'll do the same thing with grubs. We'll see. I gotta, I gotta yeah, get just them. Make, cut, cook them thoroughly because you don't know what pathogens were in your food waste. Yeah, um, we put everything out there, so yeah. The big takeaway on doing your own pod or, or obtaining some of our pods is you really need to find a source of food waste. And what you don't wanna do is feed your pod things that could be fed to humans right now. So you don't wanna feed them fresh things. You wanna feed them waste and divert that from the landfill. So we get our food waste from the Triangle Ministry that is going to a compost bin at the community garden anyway, we take a portion of that and divert it to the bins. This stuff is never going to get eaten, so we're not taking away from people in need. Right. That's, that's an important um, yeah. takeaway for food waste. You don't want to go feeding them healthy, edible food. Yeah, no doubt. What else? That's it, man. I really appreciate your time. All right, let me know when you're here in the Triangle region and I'll let you buy me uh, some lunch. Uh, that sounds like a deal.